This week, I'm talking with my dear friend, Ruthie Lindsay, about her new book, There I Am, on Ask Science Mike. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Well, just before we get to today's interview with my dear friend, Ruthie Lindsay, I wanted to talk to you about something exciting in my life and work. We are one week away from the launch of my new book called You're a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass. It is coming April 28th, 2020. This book is about the gap between what we want to do and what we actually do, the difference in the feelings we enjoy and the feelings we have, the things we wish we would say versus what we actually say, and the struggle basically to be a person who is whole and well. Uh, This is a book I wrote uh, from the perspective of someone whose life was falling apart around them despite their best efforts to grow and change and be a good person. And I'm just so excited to finally share this book with you. And as we do that, there's some really exciting things. Number one, the book is going to be available everywhere books are sold. And I book, I know right now in a pandemic, books are sold fewer places. So friends, if you'd like to join us in reading this book on time, I'd encourage you to pre-order it this week. That'll give you the best chance at having um, the book in your hands during uh, release day or nearby. There's several ways to do that. First of all, if you go to mikemccarg.com slash new book, or if like most people, you can't spell my name, you can go to asksciencemike.com slash new book. There's several things there. One, you can find a place uh, where you can order the book from resellers who are in a position to fill orders. Two, you can join me on my in-home virtual tour that kicks off a week from today. Uh, it'll kick off on April 27th. I'll be going to cities all across the country virtually in an amazing in-home experience that includes either a postcard or personalized book plate, as well as in-person virtual interaction with me. You'll get to ask me your questions face-to-face via live video. And then finally, we've got some pre-order bonuses. This is your last week to get the pre-order bonuses, which include being able to start reading right now the first three chapters of the book, as well as joining the official You're a Miracle book club led by me. Uh, there's there's quite a few people in there now. I'm looking forward to kicking that off uh, the week of May 5th, following launch week of the book. Uh, so to learn about all these amazing things, just head over to AskScienceMike.com slash new book, where you can get all the details, and a big thank you to everyone who has bought a ticket for the tour. I can't wait to send you a book and make all these postcards. And without further ado, here's my conversation with my friend, Ruthie Lindsay. Well, friends, I am just so excited about this interview today and uh, excited and sad. You know, I had a wonderful series of uh, interviews and conversations planned for Ask Science Mike, where I brought on some of my my dear friends, and the plan was to have them over at my house and sit at a table and record a podcast and then have dinner and drink wine and do all those wonderful things. And uh, Ruthie uh, Lindsay was one of those people that was going to come over and do an interview with me. I even bought microphones for the occasion, and then we had a global pandemic, and it had to cancel uh, so we're doing this interview online, but we're still doing it because I'm so excited to tell you about Ruthie. If you're not familiar with Ruthie, uh, she is a speaker and a teacher and a co-host of the Unspoken Podcast, one of my favorites. I've been a guest over there, and she's like mega, 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 mega social media famous, <laughs> like unbelievably so. Uh, she lives in Nashville. She's just a great friend. She's um, just one of the most sincere and open-hearted people uh, who I have ever met. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the program, Ruthie Lindsay. <laughs> is it weird that I'm already crying? <laughs> oh, <so> it's not. <laughs> I suspect we will cry many times in our conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I'm. It is such an honor to 
have this time with you. And um, I know it's not how we had foreseen it, but it's still, um, it really feels like a gift to get to share this space with you. So thank you so much for having me on and being so kind and encouraging to me. It means so much. Well, speaking of gifts, um, you know, it's always such an interesting experience to me to read a book written by a friend um, Mm. because you think you know people and then you read a memoir and (laughs) gosh, you really get to know someone. Yeah. Um, The first thing I want to say, this is your first book, right? Do I understand that? This is your first? This is. This is my first. And I would actually be really okay if it's my last. It was so hard. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so freaking hard. But yes, this is my first. Isn't that true? I have noticed the same thing. Every time I finish a book, I'm like, I will never do another one of those. my life that was such a nightmare <laughs> and also like the most important thing for like this journey that I've done so far so it's like a both and but yeah it's so freaking hard well yeah. the the effort shows um the first thing mm-hmm. I have to say you know I'm a writer I love the written word and this book is beautifully written it is so evocative your prose is so well composed and descriptive and clear a lot of times mm-hmm. when people are descriptive writers. They uh, are also maybe a little overly verbose and it takes very, very long to get to whatever they're trying to say. But you have this great balance of beautiful imagery and like emotionally focused writing, but also clarity and punch. So um, I just wanted to tell you that uh, as I read this, I was just so moved by the quality of the writing. That's probably my favorite thing about reading. Is when people are just good at prose. And I know that has nothing to do with the content of the book or how it will impact people. Um, but gosh, I was just so impressed and so moved and a little jealous at times uh, <laughs> of your writing voice. Oh, thank remarkable. you. I will make sure my editor hears that because, good <laughs> gosh, she had a lot of work to do. So I'll give her a lot of credit too, but thank you. That means so much, especially coming from you. That really, truly does. Uh, my er, my editor, Derek Reed over at Convergent, I often say needs hazard pay for touching my books. <laughs> Seriously? So. <laughs> no shit. Oh my God. That is so real. Yeah, it's so <laughs> real. Sweet. Oh my gosh. Oh, God, bless her. Bless her. Uh, wow. Well, So you've written this book, There I Am, and uh, as I told you right before we started recording, I've gotten some feedback from listeners and from the team behind Ask Science Mike that sometimes uh, I go right into the deep parts of a a subject matter expert and skip over little (laughs) things like what is the book about or uh, (laughs) why did you write it? Uh, So before I, I start referencing like specific page and paragraphs, um, let's start with the basics of like, what is this book about? Yeah, well, it's really, um, I mean, and it started in one place and ended somewhere completely differently mm-hmm. than where I <laughs> prepared for it to go um, with a totally different title ending everything. But it's basically a, um, a story of just my journey of, you know, growing up um, to having some pretty, um, a lot of really traumatic experiences and um, you know, doing the best I could, but handling a lot of them, um, in a very shut down, disassociated state. I, mm-hmm. I lived in my bed for about seven years, um, from really intensive chronic pain from breaking my neck in a car accident and complications around that surgery. And just, you know, had a lot of loss, lost my partner, lost, um, a parent, um, lost a life for a long time. You know, everything shut down completely. Um, which it's interesting in the midst of this pandemic, it's been triggering in a lot of ways because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, kind of my sweet little nervous system is definitely, um, I'm having to be really gentle with myself because it's, it's very, uh, it's real close to home. I know a lot about being shut (laughs) in your house, you know, alone. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot about that. But then the thing that excites me, I mean, I, you know, the pain story is very real, the chronic pain, the trauma. Um, but the part that feels really beautiful is it's also, I feel like more than anything, it's a story about healing. 
um, and the healing that I really believe with every part of me that is for us all, emotionally, spiritually, um, for many of us physically. Uh, so, you know, actually the book proposal that like what I pitched to all the different publishers was a book called salvaged building a beautiful life with broken parts. Mm -hmm. Um, because I thought I was broken and I believed that I believed that with every part of me, I believed that, I mean, I essentially was calling myself trash. Like what the fuck? And I, you know, I, my story for so long was like, yes, there's like beauty and suffering and there's, um, you can make this pain purposeful, which there, it, I believe that there is truth in making your pain purposeful and using it for good. But I, I didn't believe that I could heal. I definitely didn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't believe that that was for me. And I definitely jumped straight from, you know, living my bed to just trying to help as many people as I could and skipped the part where I came home to myself and writing the book. Essentially, I had to re-traumatize myself to go back into mm-hmm. these situations so deeply. It's not like speaking where you speak for an hour and then it's done or writing a <laughs> Instagram post because that's let's be honest, the only writing I'd ever done. Um, This was like a two and a half year process and it kicked my ass on a level that's hard to even put into words. Um, And it knocked me on my ass and it re-traumatized me. And I found myself back in my bed, not being able to function and so depressed and my pain just through the roof. And that ended up taking me on the most important um, healing journey and doing Mm. more beautiful healing work that I think I would have ever done. Um, and I'm so grateful and it shifted everything. I mean, literally the way I (laughs) see it all now feels so very different. Every, I mean, so many aspects of the beginning and the middle of the book change. The end is a completely different book, um, than what I had prepared. So yeah, I'm so grateful for the journey, even though I'm like, holy shit. What a nightmare. And also, thank you. You know, it, it's just, it's the both. And it was the most important thing that I could have done for my sweet little spirit and body and soul. And, um, but it was incredibly painful. I almost feel like, um, well, my friend, uh, Allison Fallon, you know, she mm-hmm. teaches people to write and she, um, also encourages people who don't necessarily want to become published authors or mega bestsellers to still write a book because of that process you're describing. It seems like um, some of the most beautiful books I've read, they do exactly what you just described. They start in one place and then they curve and they steer another way in the process of being written. And I've noticed that books have the potential to transform the reader. It almost always starts with the process of writing the book, uh, transforming the author, which um, yep. does not surprise me that that happened with someone as kind of thoughtful and and considered as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you write a lot about pain and suffering mm-hmm. and experiencing those things in the book. And, yeah. um, you know, I always got the impression, somehow knowing you that uh, your life had involved some degree of suffering and difficulty, as mm. seems to be common with sensitive people. Yeah, I think um, there is something so the beautiful thing about all the pain um, and the loss and the different aspects of, you know, really traumatic events. I think um, there's several different ways we can all go with it. And I think for a long time, I stayed pretty parked in the lane of like victimhood and feeling mm. really, really sorry for myself and only not being able to see outside of my pain and not being able to show up for a partner or, you know, family, friends or any of those things. Um, and it was miserable. And by the end of it, I wanted to die and my life felt mm. so, um, so hopeless and so despairing. Like I just felt utter despair um, and wanted to numb in every way. I was on every narcotic under the sun because of this um, spinal cord injury. And and they would have given me all that till the day. I mean, I was on the highest level of fentanyl patch that they give, um, which they Mm -hmm. give dying cancer patients and morphine and hydrocodone and, you know, just the list goes on and on. And because I didn't think I could handle it and I didn't think I could see outside of my own situation. And I think coming off of all of the narcotics and 
starting the process, which has been the last seven years of learning how to live again, um, I think what by numbing all of my pain, I also numbed all the beauty and goodness in the humans around me and the, you know, and the world and experiences and community, all of that was numbed out by trying to numb the pain. And by letting myself actually feel it, all of a sudden I also had these new eyes. I feel like it it truly, I feel like gave me eyes and this new lens to, you know, I can walk with someone who is going through a divorce or has um, experienced the death of a loved one because I know it. I know it viscerally on a soul you know, level. I can walk with someone that has dealt with massive, massive physical trauma um, that's happened to their body, physical pain. I can walk with someone that's experienced severe depression of wanting to not be alive. That's because I know it. And I think that's one of the many, there's so many gifts, not to Pollyanna-ish it, but it in the sense that you have this new level of awareness and empathy and um, and a ability to see other people. Like I, I, I like you honestly now when I see really truly joyful, not the like <laughs> toxic positivity, I'm not talking about that, but like mm-hmm. true grounded, joyful humans. I just assume that they have lived through so much shit and have done mm-hmm. such hard work, um, to claim that joy and to live and, and lean into that because life's so fucking hard. Earth school's so hard. And like when you are living at that depth of grounded joy, most people have been through some really, really hard, hard shit and have done really beautiful, deserving, self-loving work, you know? And, um, yeah, I think it does give you a whole new level of, um, awareness of those around you. Um, because you you know too much, right? <laughs> you, it, which is like it's hard, and it's also it's a gift. You use that phrase toxic positivity, which gosh, that is yeah. a that is a targeted and well formed phrase. And, and I have it been that like, before. Yeah. <laughs> like mm. I I know it because I've also been that person for mm. sure. And it's it yeah, it can be really hurtful and not really of service. So, like in response to uh, toxic positivity, you seem to posit or position this like the work of moving towards real optimism instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What does that work look like? Like, how does one go from a dissociative toxic positivity uh, to a real optimism? Because I found like I can certainly dispel toxic positivity. But often what I find behind it instead is an unchecked despair um, or very dark places. Um, So what does that journey look like for you? 100%. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. But I know for myself, my, you know, especially in a time right now, which I think it's for always, but this is just highlighting so many of our, (laughs) you know, hidden pains and traumas and all the things Mm -hmm. that are just coming to the surface because we're so triggered right now. And I think what I've been trying to do um, is holding space for the both and because nothing is black and white, right? And like mm-hmm. I um, at first I found myself feeling, um, you know, I was there's a, been a lot of disappointment and a lot of loss that's come, you know, both you and I have books coming out and been working for this for like three years and you know, everything's being canceled and just, you know, it's all it's all relative, right? But I was feeling really disappointed and sad and around that. And then feeling the next feeling was shame for feeling that because I was like, Mm. there's people dying and there's, which is, that's not helpful at all. And that, that only just, it it does nothing um, to serve my sweet little spirit at all because it's a dismissal, right? And so now what I'm trying to hold in both hands is, yes, there is a lot of disappointment. There is fear. I'm scared. I, I don't have a spleen. I'm very high risk. That's what helps fight your immune system. I, I live alone. Um, and it's lonely as hell and it's hard, you know? Um, and then in the same, you know, at the same time, in the other hand, I have this, um, precious little home that is a safe haven. That's so 
dear to me. I um, am healthy. My family is healthy. I have food. I have the money to pay for my bills. Um, I have this community. I have support. You know, so I ha- it's both. One does not have to overshadow. They can both be true at the exact same time. And I, you know, I, I just don't think it's fair to try to dismiss people that are in panic mode and just fear and being like, you know, just choose gratitude, just choose joy. You're not helping the situation. Like that doesn't help anyone, (laughs) you know, instead it's like, I see you. I am you. I love you. This is so hard, but you are not alone. And we are so loved. You're so loved. And Mm -hmm. I'm literally, I can say that to anyone else because I'm having to say that to my freaking self every day right now. Like every day right now, because I'm scared (laughs) and that's okay. And I need to let myself feel scared by trying to just push it down and push it away. It doesn't freaking go away. (laughs) That's what I know that I know that I know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help. So by honoring it and loving those feelings, those, you know, feelings that might feel shadowy or dark or scary or too big or whatever it is, um, by covering it with empathy and compassion and love, I I really feel like that's the only way to get anywhere, to move forward or to even, you know, at some point, hopefully dispel those feelings on some level. But I'm not trying to rush myself through it either um, because we all have so much um, this is just a really, really hard, scary, dark, um, unknown, you know, and we all love having the tangible, which literally everything's unknown, let's be real. But this is like unprecedented. We have no, um, we have no idea that we've never experienced anything like that. No one in our world has ever experienced in our lifetime, anything close to this. And so mm. of course, of course you're scared shitless. Of course you are. I see you. I am you. I feel you and you are loved and I am loved. And, and I think just, yeah, that balance of both. Like I, I've been hesitant to, I don't know, I'm trying to stay as grounded and as balanced as I can, you know, and when I am feeling out of balance and really fearful, I'm bringing that to my closest friends in my community because I want to be, um, of service to the people that follow along. And I don't know that that's necessarily when I'm in that like really freaked out stage, right? That's not going to be of service. Um, so, but it's important to have a place to let that out and to share and to feel what you're feeling. And, and so I'm just trying to give myself space to do that. And I think it's really, really loving for us all to have space, um, to do that and hold that space for each other to do that. If it weren't for my friends at KiwiCo, this episode of Ask Science Mike would have never happened. KiwiCo is an amazing California-based company that makes uh, learning products, believe it or not. And I say believe it or not because I just can't believe how much fun KiwiCo products are. If you're not familiar with KiwiCo, they make things called crates, which are you know, art and education products that you get mailed every month. Uh, and they are for children. They, you know, they have crates for uh, panda crates for children. They're zero to 24 months, koala crates, ages two to four, the Atlas crate, which is around geography and culture for ages six to 11, the classic Kiwi crate, ages five to eight for science, art, and more. Moving up, they have the Tinker crate, which is science and engineering focused for ages 9 to 16, the Doodle Crate, which is arts and crafts, for ages 9 to 16. And then they have the new Eureka Crate for ages 14 to 104 for engineering and design, and the Maker Crate, ages 14 to 104, for art and design. And we get four crates every month at my house. Uh, We get a Doodle, a Tinker, a Maker, and a Eureka. And then we set them on the kitchen table and my family all barters for who gets which um, crate that month. So uh, I just absolutely love it. It is a great way for people of any age to go deeper in their understanding of science, technology, engineering, art, 
and math. And you can get started today by going to kiwico.com slash AskScienceMike, where you can get 60% off your first month of any of all of KiwiCo's lines of crates. You're going to love them. I get so many pictures sent to me of families uh, enjoying their Kiwi crates after hearing about them on the show. And by the way, I love those pictures. Keep sending them. Uh, when you tag me on Instagram, I do see it. Uh, so once again, get started today. KiwiCo.com slash AskScienceMike. I'm so thankful to BetterHelp for sponsoring Ask Science Mike, and I'm also so thankful to BetterHelp for connecting me with a counselor that I love. You know, I've been working through a lot of emotional challenges these last few years in my life, and BetterHelp has played a major role in my growth and my recovery. You know, I've been experiencing and learning about the codependent tendencies I have, and meeting with my BetterHelp counselor online in the comfort of my own home has been instrumental in me not only feeling better, but getting concrete strategies to make my life improve each day and each week. Here's how the process works. If you go to betterhelp.com slash science mic, you'll not only get 10% off of your order, but you'll go through a questionnaire that will help BetterHelp connect you with one of their 6,000 licensed therapists that can get you the support that you deserve. Over 800,000 people have done it, and because their service is secure and online and completely private, you can change therapists at any time for any reason. It's affordable, it's private, it's anytime, it's anywhere. So why not get started today by visiting betterhelp.com slash science mic. So as you do this work of like addressing and really meaningfully uh, accepting and coping with suffering you've been with and uh, learning to move away from patterns of dissociation and into patterns of awareness and integration, and as you move away from like a toxic positivity into real optimism, yeah. Um, ha- have you noticed or have you experienced people in your life or in the public um responding to that optimism from a place of cynicism with like skepticism about your motives or, uh, or doubting your sincerity? Um, absolutely. And it's funny because I usually won't, I mean, usually I hear about it later, which is always just fun. And I'm always like, you are so valid in feeling whatever you feel. Because I mean, let's be real. Any of us, like we're always seeing everything through our own lens. So if someone thinks I'm the absolute best, that's actually none of my business. And if they think I'm the fucking worst, that's also none of my business. So I'm always like, what, you know, and it's not to say I'm not human and I have an ego and I'm going to feel things, but like, that's their right to feel whatever they feel. But I usually, it's funny because I'll hear about it later where people will be like, you know, I just was like, that can't, that can't be real. Like she can't really. And then, you know, they'll, if they get to know me, they're like, Oh, <laughs> that's so interesting. Cause like, I actually just had this opportunity to be in, um, Morocco, uh, for a week before everything got insane. Or I was actually there for almost two weeks and we did this retreat. And after like on the last night I had everyone go around and just basically tell each other all the things that we just loved that we got to experience about them that week. And probably like three or four different people, they had seen that I was coming and like just gotten on my Instagram and they didn't know anything about me or follow me or anything before. And so they just made, you know, we all do that. We all make assumptions, which I felt that's just the human part of us. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun hearing them and funny. We, I mean, I was just cracking up just to hear what they thought before and then what they actually got to um, experience. And I've always, you know, that's just that's just a part of it and I'm I'm honestly really okay with that. I I don't um yeah, again, it, it's just and that takes work. I listen for the first <laughs> and I talk about it a lot in my book. I part of my unlearning and I'm still it's a daily practice. 
I've always cared so much about what other people think about me. Like Mm. I grew up, um, you know, my mom was a child of alcoholics and I grew up in the South and in the church and everything was about show up, be sweet, smile, you know, be kind, never show any sort of rough, painful, hard, you know, you can never show rage or anger or fear, any of those things. It was just smile and smile bigger. And that's how you showed up and look cute and be pretty and, you know, just all the things. And, and so that's, that's been a real journey of un of unlearning because that's in me. That's what was like from the get go when I was born, that's what was taught to me. Um, and so, you know, my journey has been learning to like, remember, I think, and I talk about this in the book, like the unlearning of just, I, you know, and even the church I was a part of, I was told I was this broken, depraved wretch <laughs> and all these things. And I believed it. And so this work of coming back home to myself and remembering my just inherent worth and value and that I'm so good and so valuable, no matter what anyone says or thinks. Like when it, I remember as a child, if the clock was like 11, 11 or 12, 34 or whatever, I would go, make me be good, make me love Jesus. And sometimes I'd add in like other things, but that was the first two words were always, make me be good, make me love Jesus, make me be good, make me love Jesus. Because something in me didn't think that I was already good. Mm-hmm. I thought something outside of me had to make me be quote unquote good. And that was, I mean, that's followed me, you know? And so remembering, it's a constant coming home and remembering I am so valuable and so worthy and so loved and so good, no matter what any other human ever thinks, sees about me or in me. And so is every other human I ever encounter. So are they. And the more I do that work, the more I'm actually able, you know, to see that in others, their inherent worth and their value and Um, and again, this is like, this is daily work (laughs) like there. I can know that. And then two seconds later, I'm saying the shittiest things about myself and the next person (laughs) and wanting to flip them off and punt them to the goddamn moon. So like, it's a journey, right? And we're all on it. But what I also know is the more I do this work, the quicker I am to have to come back to that center place and have so much more grace. Um, and I think just like gentleness, um, for myself, but yeah, I have 100% and it's not like all the time, but people that just are like, what is that real? And, and it, and it, again, it always comes out after they, they've gotten to know me, but you know, that's, that's what they think. And I'm, that's great. <laughs> like Whatever. I think about that all the time. You know, um, I, I tend to be, um, I don't know, I guess what I call like a catastrophizing optimist. Mm. So what I tend to do with my kind of PTSD background is in any situation, my cognitive brain quickly calculates what the worst possible outcome could be. Mm. And then I like grieve that outcome. Yeah. And then I make a plan to avoid that outcome. At which point my, I, I go from kind of like the darkest despair possible to like a, we can do this. Yeah. And people who know me well are pretty used to like living in that cycle. Right. Um, but when I'm catastrophizing, I don't have the emotional or cognitive resources to get on a microphone and talk or sure. make a social media post or do any of the things that I do in public. Right. And so what the public gets from me is the outcome of my thinking and my emotional processing work and me applying insights from the therapeutic process. And sometimes I do get feedback that people um, are like, this guy can't be real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting um, in kind of the world we live in. I, I am not a person who does like the social media curation. I'm, I am pretty right. intentional about doing at least half of my social media videos without a shower. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I try yes. to like present a more real, I, I had an Instagram series for a while. Well, all I did was take pictures of my bald spot on the back of my head. <laughs> I loved that series. I try to like push back against the, <laughs> the curation. And yet there's something about the times that we have 
the emotional resources to create media, mm-hmm. that it automatically creates a limited or curated perspective. That's right. And there's, I, I try to, to, in my work, speak from those places. They say to never speak from uh, a wound, only speak from a scar. And I think that's mm-hmm. wise. And sometimes I think it's necessary to share our fear and our pain yes. uh, so that people understand that we're real people too. Yes. And that any um, any sincere optimism or sincere hope that you hear from someone in person or in media was hard won. That's exactly And there's nothing right. uh, frivolous yeah. or insincere about it. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I never had the, the is, is Ruthie real experience because I have this like really uncanny experience where so often you say things, I'm like, is Ruthie psychic and reading my thoughts? Like, there's so much. Um, I, I don't know, just maybe there's a, there's some common threads there. And we've had different types of suffering. Mine yeah. uh, was less physical and more um, psychological, yeah. uh, but still debilitating. Yeah. And then trying to recover and be like a, a functioning person. Uh, from from extended periods of intense pain and suffering, it shapes one's personality and one's approach to living in just particular ways. Uh, but one thing I noticed, and the reason I asked the question in the first place, uh, you know, reading the book and reading about how you experience people and how they experience you, is uh, when I went on the Unspoken podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which I I just think what you and Miles are doing over there is so wonderful. Um, I went and, uh, go, went to go give you a five-star review on Amazon and leave a little review. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I'm a data nerd and I know people are like, why does Mike go and leave Amazon reviews? And because those little tiny bits of data are how machines decide what to promote and I want to help. So I was going to iTunes to promote it and I saw all these people posting like, I can't believe Ruthie. I can't believe Miles. I can't believe these are real people. And at first I was so angry um, because I was defensive. I, an easy way for me to find anger is to feel defensive of people I care about. But then I was sad because I realized that what was actually happening was um, people had cynicism as a defense mechanism and your sincerity and your kindness were a threat to their defense mechanism. Um, because uh, cynicism really can't survive well in a sustained onslaught of sincerity, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's it requires irony and mutual cynicism to survive yeah. and to thrive. And that made me think, like as I was reading this book, just how the process of you trying to live well and trying mm-hmm. to love yourself well uh, is a good thing for you, but ends up being a good thing for everyone. And um, I don't know how how personal this may feel, and if you want to skip this question, we can. But I'm wondering, Ruthie, as I, I've read the pages of There I Am, um, have you ever had to struggle with a need to go through your process and realizing the reason you were going through your process was so you could use your process to help other people first? Well, you know, it's actually been uh, really interesting. I, when I first stopped living in my bed, I jumped straight to the doing phase of just, I'm going to help as many people like this, you know, I have to go do, do, do. And I felt like at the time I still had a lot of shame for the seven years of, I felt like I would just take him you know, and I, people had to show up for me in such amazing ways. And I had just been a consumer and not given back. And so, um, I just jumped into how can I help as many people as possible and bring, you know, the message, like, this is not the end, whatever you're going through, there's hope for you. And, and I, I would just go, go, go. And, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I learned with, it's honestly, since writing a book, um, I was living in the more of the human doing instead of the human being phase because I I knew that when I lived in my bed, I found so much identity and worth in my pain story because I found so much comfort in like 
you know, because we teach people how to see us, when people would see me, they'd be like, how are you doing? Feeling okay? And, and I found so much comfort in their sympathy. Because it, for me and my sweet little brain, it it justified because I was sick. You know, it justified laying in my bed and not doing anything and not working and not showing up as a partner, not showing up as a friend or aunt or any of those things. But what I realized in the last few years is actually I, when I went to onsite, you can't tell anyone what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. That's one of the rules. You give up your phone and you can't tell anyone in your group you're in these groups of like eight to 10 and it's all experiential therapy and you can't tell anyone what you do for a living. And I realized there, because usually this is how it go. People say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a speaker. What do you speak about? I share my story. What's your story? And I could give this like five minute elevator pitch. And all of a sudden I'd get this like, wow, you're so strong. You're so brave. You're so, you know, praise essentially for this pain story. And through processing and you know therapy, I realized all this time I was still finding so much worth and identity in the pain story. And, and it jumped to, you know, it came from a, I was trying to help other people, but I also really needed to be needed to feel okay, you know? And it and it wasn't necessarily coming from this wholehearted place because I was still completely ignoring healing my own heart because I didn't think, I thought my pain was so big that if I went in, it will kill me. And I believed that. I thought it would consume me because it was so great. Um, I thought it would kill me. And realizing those things and realizing, and again, like I was saying earlier, through this work and through this, you know, really, um, I mean, fighting so hard, um, it's been gritty and painful, but doing this really hard healing work of going into these old traumas and a lot of it being, I thought it was all um, starting at the wreck on, but there was so much early childhood stuff that I didn't even realize had even happened because I didn't think I could go in and deal with it, you know? And by doing that, um, remembering what was like always so right with me, not what was wrong with me. Um, and I think that that journey um, has been so beautiful that if I don't do that healing work on myself first, I can't really help. Like we can't fix anyone else, right? Like we need each other in community to rise up together and to be mirrors to each other, but we, I can't fix anyone and no one can fix me. And I went to doctors and partners and, you know, my audience and all these things to like try to numb and to fix what felt broken inside of me instead of going in and doing that really hard work on myself. Um, And I think now, like even with the ending of the book, I'm like, listen, when you finish this and you close the last page and you, you know, finish that cup of coffee or you turn off your light, whatever it is, I hope that you forget it completely. I hope you forget me. I hope you forget my name. I hope you forget the story because you don't need me. I, I want to just be a mirror to you of what healing is inside of you and what love is already yours, what divinity lives inside of you. Um, I'm just going to moonwalk the fuck out of here because like you don't need me. (laughs) And that's the most loving thing I can ever do is do that work on myself and then go into the world and be a mirror of that for those around me and love Mm -hmm. people as well as I possibly can out of an overflow of knowing how loved I am you know, instead of needing them to try to help them so that I could feel better about myself, because that could be my MO, you know, that is easily my MO. And it comes from a very needy, not loving of service place. Like I, even after the wreck, you know, I mean, after getting off the drugs and started living, I realized how much I used Instagram as the next drug. I'm not on the narcotics, but it became this other thing to like validate me to feel, to not feel like so alone and did not feel so isolated and became another coping mechanism. Um, so it's just, you know, the more we go about the journey, the more you see and listen, I, <laughs> six months from now, I might look at me today and be like, bless her sweet soul. <laughs> she thought she knew things, you know, we're all just doing the work and it's just an ongoing forever. We'll never arrive. We're just on the journey. And I, and learning every day. And I hope like when I'm 90 years old, I have a notebook and I'm so curious and I'm writing down all the things that I'm learning and never think that I have it all 
figured out, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Gosh, I resonate with that so much. You know, mm. this, this, there's such, <sighs> the work is so hard um, because anything we use to grow and to find freedom in, uh, if, we're, if we stay there too long, it becomes a new system of confinement. You know, I, I think about, um, for me, I had a period where uh, basically like philosophical nihilism was like my big comfort, like a, a, realize, a realization that all knowledge is just kind of a thing people use to survive. But I realized after a while that if I just stuck there and I stayed there, that it just became a new form of dissociation. Right. And that there had to be this this battle, this battle, this balance. I guess it is a battle <laughs> to find balance. Yes, uh, this this balance between not holding your your notions and your ideas and your beliefs too tightly, but then also not uh, you know drifting off into this kind of dissociative bottle, bubble of pseudo enlightenment, and this right. is a really hard pattern in energy to hold. Um, yes. I have a poster on my wall by one of my favorite creators, a man named Zay Frank, who was uh, who kind of. <laughs> Uh, invented the vlog. I think that's a fair thing to say about <laughs> about Zay. And I have this poster on my wall, and it's the script of a video he did called An Invocation for Beginning. So he had a show called uh, The Show by Zay Frank, where he did a video a day uh, as a video blog before YouTube existed. Wow. And then he turned around to another show later called A Show with Zay Frank. Um, and there's this line in there um about kind of holding on to the metaphors you need to make it through each day but then also letting them go when they mm-hmm. don't suit you anymore yes and that's work i get the sense that you're doing and that you're doing well mm-hmm. and i wonder um if you'd be willing to try something and that is i'd like for you to um if this feels okay and feels safe, I'd like you to think of uh, Ruthie a few years ago when Ruthie was first starting to think about writing a memoir and putting a book mm-hmm. on paper. Mm-hmm. And now you've gone through the process and you've made this beautiful thing. And I, I just wonder if you would be willing to tell the audience what Ruthie today would say to Ruthie back then. Mm, I love that. Thank you for inviting me to do that. Oh, you know, I would just look at her. I'm imagining it right now, like with the kindest, most gentle, loving eyes, like the way my, I always, when I want to do that, I imagine the way my daddy always looked at me and tell her she's exactly where she's supposed to be. Um, I'm so proud of her. I love her so much. Um, mm. And she has everything within her that she's going to mm. need to get through this. Mm. This is going to be really hard. But she is so brave, so strong. And I am so in love with her. So in love with her. And yeah, I just, and I just really really like her (laughs) um i really like her a lot Hmm. yeah her heart's really good thank you ruthie Hmm. thank you so Mm -hmm. as as you're listening to us talk out there in radio land i'd imagine that some people uh hear that and it's familiar and beautiful as you've been on a journey to learn to love and accept yourself. Now, I suppose for other people, it's shocking and unimaginable to speak of fondness of yourself, especially yourself in the past, which we so often carry shame about. Yeah. Here's what I would like to tell you all listening to me right now, is that this book, There I Am, by my friend Ruthie Lindsay, is a personal story of growth and transformation. It is about Ruthie, and it is about Ruthie's life. And if you like memoirs, It's a good memoir, and you're going to enjoy it. But I also believe that because we are a storytelling animal, 
that the stories we read become a part of who we are. And I believe sincerely that if you read this book, it represents an opportunity and an invitation to begin a journey of growth and transformation in your own life that could end with you seeing yourself with the same grace and fondness and appreciation that Ruthie sees for herself. The book is There I Am. It's going to be available everywhere the books are sold, and it will be on bookshelves April 21st, 2020. And if I do this right, I'm hoping that will be the day following the release of this podcast. Ruthie, for people who want to get to know you more, uh, maybe before they buy the book or maybe after, where can they find you online? Yes. Um, well, I am on the gram, on Instagram at, <laughs> at Ruthie Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And then um, I have a website, which is just www.ruthielindsay.com. And on there, you could sign up for my newsletter. We're going to be doing a lot because, you know, all of um, all of our tours and things are being canceled. So we're coming up with a virtual tour and you can follow along where we'll be doing that. And also going to be creating a um, book club um, that I'll be doing each week. And I would love to have y'all following along with that. It's going to be really it's going to be really fun. And I think this time it's cre- it's causing us to be really inventive and creative and do things that I would have never done before. But I think, you know, this is the time like to come together and we have this space to like the universe is giving us a big old time out. And I would be so honored to, to get to go on this journey with y'all. Uh, so yeah, it'd be so fun. And you'll be able to find links to everything Ruthie just yes. mentioned right in the show notes of the episode you're listening mm-hmm. to right now. So you can just tap on your device and then tap the link and go straight there. Ruthie, this has been a joy and a pleasure. As frankly, I expected it would be. I love talking with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful that you took the time today to join me in this conversation and uh and spend some time with me and the listeners of Ask Clients Mike. I am so deeply appreciative. And I'm going to, I know we've heard the conversation in the past about my problem with gushing. So I'm going to keep it to a minimal, but I, <laughs> I love you so dearly. <laughs> and I'm just so honored to get to be your friend and to get to know you and to love you. It's truly a dear, dear privilege in my heart. So thank you. The great thing about good friendship is I know you mean it because I would say the same thing about you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Ruth.